welcome to our service tonight. Got a few intimations to read. Uh, tomorrow, there's a funeral of Ishbel Freer at one o'clock. On Tuesday, 6th, Mission in Need by Zoom at 7.30pm. Speaker is Kathleen McSween from Sparkle Sisters. On Wednesday, 7th, Carol Service for local primary schools at 7pm. Pray for Murray Graham, who will lead this. If you can help with baking for this event, please put your name on the sheet in the Fellowship Lounge. On Saturday, 10th November, there's the Congregational Children's Party from 2 to 4, and everyone is welcome. And there'll be a Harvest Thanksgiving service on Wednesday, 14th December at 7.30. We'll begin by singing Psalm 67 and sing psalms. God, be merciful and bless us. Shine upon us with your face that the earth may know your actions and all lands your saving grace. We'll stand to sing. God, be merciful and bless us, for us to draw near to you. Uh, when we do that, we're not, we're not entering into a space that, that can be defined by feet or yards. We're coming to where you are, 
and whatever you are is very different from what we are used to. Uh, we're coming to a holy place and your word describes it as the beauty of holiness. There are lots of beautiful things that we see in life. Uh, creation displays various aspects of beauty maintained there by your power and then we see aspects of your creative skills and wisdom but the way it is at the moment we don't see holiness Lord we give you thanks that one day the beauty of holiness uh, will be visible that the heavenly Jerusalem will come down and down to the new world and that will be a wonderful sight to see but at the moment as we look around all we see is something that has been tarnished by sin the whole creation as your word tells us is groaning that is groaning with anticipation that one day everything will be perfect and that's uh, good for us to know but at present the only place that's perfect is your presence and we are entering it at the moment not in the sense that we can see anything or feel anything but here we are right before your throne we enter here by faith we come close to God we who are the imperfect draw near to the perfect. We who are sinful, who fall short, are drawing near to the one who never changes, uh, whose glory is the same today as it always has been. We therefore should humble ourselves as we look by faith We remember that Moses endured things because he saw the one who was invisible. And it's good for us, Lord, as we gather here together just to remind ourselves who you are. You're the great eternal God. You are the almighty God. You're the God of love. You're the only wise God, but you're also the one who is holy, holy, holy. And therefore we draw near. We thank you for the privilege. Our souls were made to worship you. We were made to be attracted by you. We were made to think your thoughts after you, as it were. To be your image. 
We confess, Lord, that so often we fall short. But we pray that you would forgive us. We thank you, Lord, that it's part of your beauty to be a pardoning God. We remember in the, in the Holy of Holies, in the Old Testament, uh, there was the mercy seat uh, where sins could be pardoned a symbolic form of, of, the, of what you do in your own presence, that there you pardon, you pardon sinners. And we come, Lord, asking for pardon, and that you can forgive us all our sins, the sins that we're aware of and the sins that we're not aware of. And we thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What a wonderful reality. That pardoned sinners can come into the presence of God. Lord, we pray you would speak to us as we are in your presence. We thank you, Lord, that silence is not really a feature of your presence, that uh, your creatures, the ones that we, we cannot see, angels, that they have something to say, and that you redeem people, the ones who are in heaven, that they have something to say, that we thank you, Lord, above all, that you have something to say. And we pray, Lord, you would speak to us as we gather here uh, tonight. We thank you, you speak in your word. Your word is a world, a word from another world, a word from heaven to guide us through life here so that at the end we'll get to heaven ourselves. We thank you, Lord, that we have known those who have made that journey some have made it recently, and we thank you, Lord, that those who make the journey get safely to the end. And we pray that we who are left here, that would be following those who are now inheriting the promises. Help us, Lord, to have our destination in mind, that we are aiming for heaven that glory is our hope and that we want to be with Christ, which is better by far. So Lord, help us as we travel as pilgrims and strangers through this world, that we will be thankful that as we do travel, that we can have these times in your presence on your own day, uh, to meet with yourself, heart to heart, uh, mind to mind, and that there would be a reaction in our souls at the end of our time together, that we would say it was good to be with God. Lord, help us to experience that, to be thankful that we can have it. We thank you, Lord, that we're not the only group 
having this privilege tonight that throughout our country and indeed in one way or another throughout the world on this day millions of different groups have met together in the presence of God all of them there because they've been brought into your family and are members of it and we pray that you would be extending your family today as the gospels declared in different places that people would be converted and that they would start to live for you and as they make their way through life they would be being sanctified and they would be becoming like Jesus Lord we pray that that would be the outcome of today for all your church throughout the world that whatever they are whatever their circumstances, that as a result of worshipping you, they would, be, they would be becoming more and more like Christ. What a wonderful possibility. One day it's going to happen. All of them are going to be conformed, as your word tells us, to the image of Christ. We pray in the meantime that you would help all of them and see how their own circumstances to face, the burdens they carry, the fears they might have, the dangers they might encounter. We pray, Lord, that you be with them and help them in it all. So be with us in our service, we pray. Speak to us from your word. Help us to sing to a, a God that we are conscious of and that we will be thankful that we are here together. So bless us, Lord, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing from Psalm 27 and sing Psalms and verses 1 to 6. The Lord's my Savior and my light, who will make me dismayed. The Lord's the stronghold of my life. Why should I be afraid? Verses 1 to 6. The Lord's my Savior and my
we can read from the Gospel of Luke and chapter 22 and verses 24 to 38. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. And may God Bless that reading. We'll now sing the remaining verses of Psalm 27. We'll sing Psalms verses 7 to 14. Lord, hear me when I call to you. Be merciful and speak. Come, seek my face, you told my heart. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Verses 7 to 14. Lord, hear me when I
Supper, that the blessings uh, connected to it are not confined to the time it was held. So therefore, we should expect to have, since God is active in all his means of grace, we should expect him to be doing something in connection with the Lord's Supper in the days and weeks after it. It's a strengthening ordinance, so therefore the various items that it highlights that they should be stronger in our experience as a result of being there. Obviously, it speaks about forgiveness and pardon, and therefore we should expect that to be one of the the rivers, as it were, flowing from the throne of God, that he should be uh, giving to us in our hearts a stronger awareness that if we are his people, that would just be coming from him for that purpose. Lord's Supper, of course, is a family meal, so there should be a greater sense of belonging to the family of God, that the spirit of adoption should be working in our hearts, Um, enabling us to appreciate more and more the wonder of there being a divine family. And of course, the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of the heavenly meal. The Lord's Supper itself only lasts for a short time, but it illustrates a meal that's going to never end. 
a meal where there's fellowship and sharing and contact and communion and all that kind of thing. And we should just be experiencing that. I mean, that's just, that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's not merely just a, a time to recollect what Jesus did. I mean, the Lord's Supper is an occasion where Jesus is active and he is using it as a means of grace to bless his church. And I suppose if there ever was an occasion when a Lord's Supper should have these effects, we would imagine it would be the first one. Because after all, he was there himself. And therefore we would expect it to be such an occasion. Yet in the verses we read, we read the consequences, the outcomes, the attitudes, the features, the details that marked the first Lord's Supper. Of course, it was a, a time of great change in God's kingdom. I mean, imagine being at Mount Sinai, for example. I mean, that would be a very profound experience, wouldn't it? As we stood there and saw this, um, saw all these signs of God's presence and saw Moses going all the way up the mountain and coming back down with um, various laws and regulations about how God's people were to function in their worship of him. And uh, it would have been quite awe-inspiring to be there when that um, development in God's kingdom happened. And obviously there was a a lot of additional phenomena surrounding the event that would impress it on our memories. Do you think the the Lord's Supper, when it was inaugurated, was as great as Mount Sinai? Do you think the change... should have astonished those who were given the privilege of being there. Here is the Lord of the church. The only one who can make any rules in the church. He came down, lived here, on his way to the cross. He made this incredible change in his kingdom. A change that is decisive. A change that is going to last until he comes again. He removed the central event that was in the Old Testament worship system. Their annual Passover where they gathered in their hundreds of thousands 
to celebrate what God did at deliverance from Egypt. In two minutes, he dispensed with it and replaced it with the Lord's Supper. So it was a great change. Probably they were oblivious to it, the ones who were at the occasion. And if you, we had interviewed them on a particular night, anything important happened there in the upper room? I wonder what they would have said. But something of importance did happen. The Lord's Supper was instituted. Not merely as an add-on to Christian life. Something a Savior himself requested. This do in remembrance of me. So that was certainly a surprise at the supper. It was also another surprise for these disciples. They discovered that one of them was a traitor, Judas. We know that Jesus identified him when he gave him that particular piece of bread. And we know that Judas then went off to betray Jesus. Since he was sitting beside Jesus when they were having the Passover, it indicates a place of priority. But his priority actually meant nothing. Again, it's very likely that the other disciples were oblivious to what was a very surprising declaration by Jesus. One of you shall betray me. And they all said, is it I? And he said to most of them, to 11 of them, no, it's not you. But he did say to Judas, it was you. So it was a surprising event because of the inauguration of this new way of doing things. And it was a surprising event because of the identifying of the traitor. But there's also some other surprises at it. And I think the other surprises are perhaps more down to earth. What were these surprises? Well, there's at least three. There's a dispute going on in the presence of Jesus. A rather extraordinary dispute. Which of them should be the greatest? I mean, that's really surprising, isn't it? And 
another surprise that Luke mentions is a prediction of a denial. He didn't just highlight that one of them was a traitor, but he also stated very strongly that Peter would deny him. Imagine if that had been said at our Lord's Supper. And then he makes a surprise announcement that somebody's going to number him with the transgressors. These three things should have shocked the disciples. They were certainly very surprising. And I suppose we could ask the question, did they spoil the inauguration? I'd just like us to think about these three things. The desire for position, Peter's denial, and the announcement of his death. this desire for position. There in verse 24, a dispute also arose. I mean, the word arose is very interesting, isn't it? It implies momentum. It's getting stronger. It wasn't just a, a... point that somebody may have mentioned briefly in discussion. I wonder which one of us will be the greatest. It wasn't like that at all. There was a an argument, a rather fiery argument as to which of them was regarded as the greatest. Imagine even discussing that question in the presence of Jesus. It would be bad enough to have a cool, calm discussion over the issue. Much worse to have an argument about it. Of course, they weren't imagining that they would be number one. That's impossible in this kingdom that's just round the corner. Jesus is going to be number one in the kingdom. But what they were concerned about was who's going to be number two? And they all had their ideas. And I suspect that each of them thought he was the one to be number two. Luke doesn't tell us when Jesus washed their feet. We know that in the upper room he did wash their feet. I wonder was it round about this time that Jesus washed their feet? Because he does say, doesn't he, I am among you as one who serves. 
Jesus speaks to them there in verse 25. And he brings in a contrast. The contrast between his kingdom and the kingdoms of the world. In the kingdoms of the world, he points out the kings of the Gentiles. Those who are in charge of the kingdoms of the Gentiles. They act as those who are in charge. They exercise their lordship over them. And if they do it well, they get called benefactors. And and rightly so. Why not? That's their role. They have been given this place of power in order for the benefit of those who are below them. And that's the normal way of things in the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus there in verse 26 gives a very strong reaction to that. He says, not so with you. None of you, he basically says to them, should want to be number two. They, rather, he says, the greatest among you become as the youngest. The youngest person in a family was the one that did the most inferior things. I suppose the incident that might come to mind from the Bible with regard to this is when Samuel went looking for the king of Israel, for the next king of Israel. And as he went looking for the next king of Israel, he goes to the house of Jesse. And we know the story, how they all, sons, troop before Samuel, And he thought, well, that one looks like a good choice. I went down the list. And of all the ones who were in the room, God said, none of them. Samuel had imagined that all the sons of Jesse were in the room. But of course, one wasn't. That was David. Where was he? He was out looking after the sheep, a menial task. He probably had to go and feed them or something like that. He was the youngest, the role that the youngest had. And the role that the king makes here as he looks at his squabbling disciples marked by their aspirations. The rule he makes for them is, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. He's almost saying, isn't he? If you realize you've got certain gifts, use them to descend, not to ascend. Use them in such a way that you become a servant. 
They were thinking of going in the other direction. They were thinking of having servants. But Jesus' plan for them was to become servants. And in order to emphasize the point, he just says to them, look at me. He tells them to look at Jesus, to look at himself. And that's what gives the impression that verse 27 is when he washed their feet. For who is the greater? The one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Imagine Jesus washing their feet. What a surprising activity. What a welcome activity. What a different activity. As he stresses there at the end of verse 27, I am among you as the one who serves. He knows the hearts of everyone. He also knows his own heart. And here he gives a self-definition. I am among you as the one who serves. It's not beautiful. We have a Savior who wants to serve. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. What's he doing now in heaven? There he is, highly exalted, given the name that's above every name. What's he doing? He's serving. Every Christian can look up to the throne and say about the one who's on the throne, that's my prophet, that's my priest. That's my king. That's the one who's doing for me everything I cannot do for myself. As far as being with these disciples, how had he served them? He had taught them. He had prayed for them. He had defended them when they were accused by other groups in Israel. His eye was on them continually to help them. He's still the same. He's a servant. He delights to be a servant. It's good to a savior like that, isn't it? You know, the one who governs us is called the Prime Minister. If we want to explain that word, these two words, it means first servant. 
And up in heaven, we've got the ideal one. He never takes his mind of any of the needs of any of his people. The Lord's Supper is designed to tell us that, isn't it? The Lord's Supper is all about the one who takes care of our needs. How inappropriate it was for these disciples to start thinking about themselves. But they did. And that's a warning to us, isn't it? But then Jesus points out to them that he commends them in verse 28. Imagine commending, commending the ones who are thinking about being number two. He doesn't commend them for that particular attitude, but he does say to them, and we get the words of his appreciation. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. I mean, these are very warm words, aren't they? I mean, these are words of someone who appreciates what's been done. He valued their company. He was pleased when he was with them. He was glad when he could help them. He did it all 100%. And we know what they were like because we're told about, about them in the Gospels. How even earlier in the upper room, one of them had said to Jesus, don't know what you're talking about. When you said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and so on. But when Jesus comes to speak about them, he commends them. And isn't that just like Jesus? Little things. You stayed with me in my trial. His appreciation, his affirmation. And he turns to them and says, Because you did that, I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom. He's basically saying to them, Isn't he? Why are you worried about being number two? I'm going to assign to you all a kingdom. And in this kingdom, you're going to eat and drink at my table and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I mean, that's picture language. I mean, people disagree as to what he meant. Some say he's describing what life will be like after he returns the second time. That in heaven there'll be 
sort of guests of honour, if you want to put it that way, eating and drinking at his table. And they'll have a place of prominence, judging um, the twelve tribes of Israel. They say it's kind of picture language of the world to come. Maybe that. Others say that it's referring to what happens when the kingdom he's just about to inaugurate. When he ascends to heaven and starts the New Testament church. And these apostles, they are going to, although he's no longer with them physically, they're still going to enjoy fellowship with him. And they're going to have a place of prominence deciding what the church will do, as it were. You can take your pick as to which of these options are right. But anyway, whatever one is right, he is telling them, isn't he? It's a waste of time worrying about whether or not you'll be the greatest. And he's just saying to us, isn't he? What I give you, Jesus says, will make you great. You don't need to try and climb the ladder yourself. What he says to them is, I'll place you at the top of the ladder. I wonder what they felt when they heard that. I suppose it's worth asking ourselves what made them do it. Did Peter and James and John say we're the special three? We've had special occasions with them. Therefore we should be at the top. Did Matthew say Look at what I have given up to be a disciple. They must have had reasons. Whatever their reasons were, they were sinful. And he basically says to them, as he says to us, take a long look at the humble Jesus. Take a long look at the humble Jesus. That's what Paul says to the Philippians, isn't it? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, and sought it not robbery to be equal with God, He made himself of no reputation. Literally means he made himself nothing. And having made himself nothing, he humbled himself again, even to the death of the cross. It's good for us to look at the humble Jesus. 
because I suppose it's the most effective way of putting all of us in our place. When we look at what he did, who he was, and what he became, what he was willing to do, What's he doing at the moment as he speaks to these disciples? He's a servant. And okay, he's just washed their feet. And we could ask another question and say, what's on his shoulders? Because that's where servants carry things. What's on their shoulders? What's on the shoulders of Jesus at that moment? I suppose we should ask it another way. What's on the shoulders of his heart? And we know what's there. There's our servant. He's also God's servant. But he's our servant. And he's carrying away what we cannot carry away. On his heart are our sins. He's the burden bearer. He's the Lamb of God bearing away the sin of the world. That's all servant language. He's taking these sins literally on this particular occasion because within 12 hours he's going to carry them to a place where they cannot be found. And as we look at them, the sin bearer, the one who's going to be cursed, The one who's going to have to journey into a place where no one has been before. Who has to take the wrath that was due to us. Our servant. He's going to carry our sins away. What an extraordinary sight. When he said to these men, this is my body given for you. The cup is a new covenant in my blood. None of them said to him, did they? Jesus, are you going to die? None of them said that to him. But he was our servant, and he's going to pay the penalty for our sin. And surely, we should look at our servant. That's what God says through Isaiah, isn't it? A divine instruction. Behold my servant. 
that's one of the things that should have been happening since last Sunday. None of us knows what each other was thinking. But the question that does come to mind, and I'm not going to go into the other two points tonight, but one of the things that comes to mind is what have we thought about Jesus since last Lord's Supper? What do we think about his service? What he did for us back then and what he's doing for us now. There's no one like him. 100% dedicated. He's going to give to us all the help that we need as we make our way through life. So this desire they had for position, what an appalling desire, how incongruous, how unsuitable the reality is, how sinful they were, and yet he forgave them, forgave them gladly and forgave them permanently. He really is worth looking at, just to gaze and gaze on him. The perfect servant. Shall we pray? Lord, What can we say? You are different from us. You were at the top and you came down. How far down you came. You came down to the depths, to the depths where our sin took you in order to pay the penalty for them. You served us. And all we can say about it is you served us well. Because we have no idea where you've taken our sins to. All we know is that they're gone if we trust in you. Not gone in the sense that we stop sinning. But gone in the sense that the penalty's been paid. And we thank you for being such a servant, a servant of the Lord. And we thank you too that up in heaven, even at this moment, you're the servant of your church. Not in the sense that the church ever ever tells you what to do. But you're the servant. You're our prophet. Our priest. The king who defends us. Lord. It is good for us. 
to take a long look at the humble Jesus. Help us, Lord, to do it, to do it frequently, to do it daily, to do it whenever we get a sense of our own importance, just to take a long look at him, the one who humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. So bless us, Lord, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing from Psalm 119, the Sing Psalms, the section beginning at verse 33. Teach me to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. Give insight, and I'll keep your law with all my heart to it attend. Verses 33 to 40. Teach me to follow you. Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.